Hello and welcome to Article Read Aloud podcast. It's 18th of August 2021. Today we have picked up two articles, one from the Hindu newspaper and the other from Indian Express newspaper. The first article is written by M.K. Narayanan. M.K. Narayanan is a former national security advisor and a former governor of West Bengal. His article is published in the Hindu newspaper. The script of the new endgame in Afghanistan. The rapidity with which Afghanistan has unraveled has shocked and surprised everyone. The fall of Kabul and the ignominious end of any resistance to the Taliban within six weeks of the U.S. force vacating the Bagram Air Base near Kabul on July 2 reveals how brittle the wounded Afghan security forces were. The departure of Afghanistan President Ashraf Ghani and almost the entire top political leadership of Afghanistan to safer heavens removes the last vestige of hope that the Taliban can be checked. Like House of Cards, Afghanistan has fallen apart the moment foreign forces vacated the country. Taliban's duplicity. The enormity of the current situation is only now beginning to be evident to much of the outside world. The Taliban's duplicity in projecting at one level the image of mature group during the Doha talks while at another perpetuating violence of the most ferocious kind is clearly evident as events unfold. The worst is perhaps yet to come. Afghanistan today is in a condition that is far worse than what existed when the Russians withdrew in the 1990s. At that time, there was at least a titular leader around whom those opposed to the Taliban could hope to mobilize and put up a fight. Moreover, the retreat of the United States from Afghanistan in 2021 is far more humbling than the Russian withdrawal in the 1990s. For the latter at least had to contend with the actions of a superpower like the US. This time the Taliban having played fast and loose with the US has left the superpower with not even the fig leaf of a honorable withdrawal. US President Joe Biden's decision to set a date for withdrawal of the American forces and treat this decision as one carved in stone irrespective of the situation within Afghanistan without any consideration of the consequences clearly enabled the Taliban to take over. After the Russian withdrawal in the 1990s, Afghanistan still had a future. For in the final years of the 20th century, the world was intent on making efforts to prevent Afghanistan from becoming a black hole that would create mayhem across a vast region that bordered Iran, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan and China. In the 1990s, moreover, the Taliban were a band of outlaws. Today, it is recognized maybe with different degrees of disdain by powers such as the US, Russia and China and is on the brink of gaining a country. For a regulated international order that most countries across the world seek, there could be no greater tragedy than the emergence of a rogue state under the Taliban, paving the way for terror. The Afghan establishment seemed to give up their fight against the Taliban earlier on the ceding authority to private militias, former Afghan warlords and rabble of desperate armed groups. To expect that this kind of armed rabble would resist the Taliban was clearly a mistake. As the Afghan state implodes, one should now expect a wider cleaving between Pashtuns, Uzbeks, Tajiks, Azaras and the myriad other clans that 
populate Afghanistan. The virtual death of the Afghan nation approximates as it were to the end of history. The collapse of organized resistance to the Taliban within Afghanistan together with the group being courted by Russia, China and quite a few other nations apart from Pakistan not excluding the US marks the saddest day in the history of proud nation. This is also a moment of tragedy for Asia as well. It virtually spells the death knell of any possible Afghan renaissance in the near future. Instead, the situation is far more likely to encourage erstwhile terror groups such as the one led by Gulbuddin Hekmatyar, a one-time client of Pakistan and a traditional opponent of the Taliban, to return to their erstwhile haunting grounds. Afghanistan vs Syria Reference to Afghanistan becoming another Syria again misplaced. At the worst of times, Syria had a relatively strong president, Bashar al-Assad, while Afghan president Ghani can hardly be compared to him. The territory of Afghanistan is also very different from that of Syria. Afghanistan's borders with Uzbekistan and Tajikistan unlike the Syria are extremely porous, almost impossible to guard or protect. More to the point, the end game in Afghanistan has little in common with the power equations witnessed in Syria. In Afghanistan, the Taliban is intent on keeping absolute control and is counting on China, Russia and Pakistan to do so. All of them are more intent on keeping out the US and, in effect, India. Indulging in a blame game at this time may appear inappropriate. However, the US cannot shrug off a major share of the responsibility for Afghanistan's current plate. Apart from the decision of Mr. Biden not to alter the last date for the exit of US troops in Afghanistan, which sent a clear signal to Taliban of a collapse of US resolve to safeguard the interest of Afghanistan, the stealthy exit of the US from the Bagram Air Base also left an indelible impression as far as the Taliban was concerned, that the US had acknowledged the Taliban's supremacy in return for the safe passage of their troops. All this has diminished the image of the US in Asian age. In light of this, US claims to make America great again sound extremely hollow. Old threats may surface. Some political commanders seem to believe that after the initial success of the Taliban and the collapse of the Afghan state, the natural political dynamics of the region would assert itself. This seems like a pious wish. After two decades of active involvement in the affairs of Afghanistan and spending over a trillion dollars in the process to defer to defeat terrorism and the Al-Qaeda, the US has left Afghanistan in a worse situation than when it entered. It is not possible to discern any reduction in terrorism or the demise of any of the better known terror groups such as the Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State or for that matter of lesser known terror outfits. As a matter of fact, there has been resurgence in Al-Qaeda activities recently. The IS, after some earlier setbacks, is again regrouping and currently poses a real threat to areas abutting and including Afghanistan. Radicalized Islamist terror and the forces of doctrinaire theocracy have, if anything, thus become stronger. The collapse of the Afghan state will ignite many old threats. Compared to the situation when the US left Vietnam in 1975, which was also seen by many as a kind of retreat, the Afghan misadventure has been a disaster. Under the leadership of the Communist Party, Vietnam was able to emerge as a vibrant nation with a thriving economy. Under the Taliban regime, Afghanistan cannot hope for any such outcome. It would remain the sick man of Asia for generations to come, a standing folly to perils of outside intervention in the affairs of another nation. Stakes for India, Iran 
Among Afghanistan's neighbors, India and Iran are two countries that would find accommodation with Taliban-dominated Afghanistan very difficult. Pakistan may be an enigma of sorts, but the Taliban will need Pakistan at least in the short and medium term. Relations between Taliban Afghanistan and Uzbekistan and Tajikistan may not be easy but will not lead to any major problems for now. India, even more than Shia-dominated Iran, may be the outlier among Afghanistan's neighbor for a variety of reasons, including its warm relations with the Karzai and the Ghani regimes in the past two decades. If the 21st century was expected to become the century of progress, the situation in Afghanistan represents a severe setback to all such hopes and expectation. The aftershock of the takeover of Afghanistan by the Taliban can be expected to continue for long. For India, the virtual retreat of the US from this part of Asia, the growing China-Russia-Pakistan nexus across the region, and an Iran under a hardliner like Ibrahim Raisi all work to its disadvantage. A great deal of hard thinking is needed as to how to retrieve a situation that for the present seems heavily tilted against India. The second article is from the Indian Express, a reason to remember, written by Sham Saran, the writer is a former Foreign Secretary of India. On August 14, Prime Minister Narendra Modi solemnly declared that henceforth every August 14 will be observed as Partition Horrors Remembrance Day. Of course, it was not lost on anyone that the new anniversary also happens to be the day when Pakistan celebrates its independence. The partition of India into two independent states had been announced in June 1947, but the physical contours of the two successor states of India and Pakistan became known sometime after their formal independence on August 15 and August 14 respectively. We should certainly keep alive the tragic memories associated with partition because the bloodletting that scarred people of both countries must never be repeated. The horrors of partition did not occur on a single day, but spanned several weeks and months both preceding and succeeding the declaration of independence of Pakistan and then India, just one day apart. If the new anniversary intends to ensure that the monumental human tragedy is not repeated, then it may be of some therapeutic value. If the intent is to cast India-Pakistan hostility in stone, as may well be suspected by the choice of the date for its commemoration can only spawn negative domestic political consequences while seriously limiting India's foreign policy options. The announcement comes at a time when we are witnessing an upsurge in anti-Muslim communal incidents in various parts of the country. Just a few days ago, activists allegedly belonging to Bajrang Dal assaulted Afsar Ahmad, a rickshaw puller in Kanpur. Even while his young daughter clung to him and cried for his life to be spared, he was collateral damage in feud between two neighboring families, Hindu and Muslim, though he himself was not involved. There have been similar incidents in other parts of the country. We have also witnessed the rapidly communal slogans raised at recent Jantar Mandar gathering in the capital. As parties, as parties gear up for the crucial Uttar Pradesh elections next year, communalization is once again being seen as a potentially winning strategy by BJP despite, despite its recent setback in the Bengal elections. As the date for the UP elections draws closer, communal card will be seen flashing more and more in the state. The PM's declaration on the partition horrors Remembrance Day should be seen in this context. 
Remembrance can be prelude to healing from a tragedy. To foster a determination among people to never allow the tragedy to repeat itself. Remembrance can also be used to reopen the wounds of yesteryear. To reignite ugly passions where past horrors are regurgitated so they may be reenacted with renewed passion. The day chosen for the remembrance of partition horrors, Pakistan's independence anniversary may fall in the later category. Such a brand of politics is dangerous and carries within it the seeds of India's possible unraveling as a nation. Writer Sadat Hasan Mando described the dangers spawned by partition most evocatively. God begins. Human beings in both countries were slaves. Slaves of bigotry, slaves of religious passions, slaves of animal instincts and barbarity. God ends. Do we want to conjure up the dangerous world once again by using a selective and curated memory to, e to reignite violent communal passions? Or should this tragic history be used instead to heal the wounds of yesteryear and resolve never again to become slaves to ugly passions ignited through a cynical political calculus? On the occasion of India completing 74 years of independence, it is time to recall what is truly remarkable about our country that it is home to an extraordinary spectrum of ethnicities, religions, languages and cultures and yet proudly and expansively Indian. Any attempt to impose an arid uniformity over this vibrant and colorful diversity will fail. Worse, it may unravel a national fabric whose myriad strands celebrates a complex tapestry which is the legacy of an extraordinary mingling of races, faiths and philosophies without compare in the world. The partition of India in 1947 is a warning of what can happen when the politics of exclusion overwhelms the culture of inclusion. There are many partitions waiting to happen if we as a people do not derive the right lessons from 1947 and recognize the ugly scars that it has left in its wake. At the moment, we are focused on the dangers of communal passions that are being unleashed in the run-up to the UP elections and which will be followed by others. Other fault lines are simmering under the surface. These relate to caste divisions, regional and linguistic identities and economic and social inequalities. There is an unspoken assumption among some political managers that a Hindu-Muslim binary will somehow enable the political consolidation of other constituencies under the Hindu banner. This is a failure to understand how political and social dynamics work. The continuing farmers' agitation is a case in point as is the electoral outcome in West Bengal. Despite the immense and intense political communal investment made by the BJP, led personally by Prime Minister Modi himself. The response to this perceived decline in political capital has been to double down on the communal platform and the announcement of the partition horrors remembrance day may well be a part of that effort. There is also an effort to gain political advantage through use of the levers of a security state and Pegasus affairs points to that. The beauty of a security state is that every security failure leads to the enhancement of its role rather than its retreat. Every failure leads inexorably to further limiting the freedom of citizens while enhancing the power of security agencies. This is quite visible in the slew of legislation that has been already passed or which are on the Anvil. We may end up with a cohesive state which tries belatedly to prevent the fragmentation of the country's social and political fabric which its own policies have spawned. This is not the vision of India that the constitution of India envisaged. It is not the miracle of unity and diversity that has been the, the calling card of India through the ages.